You are listening to Let's Get Down to Brass Tacks by Good Brother. We talk about all things building and interior design. We explore a wide range of topics and talk to industry experts about how to chop your way through the daunting experiences of any building and design challenges like a pro, even if it's your first time. So join us and let's get down to Brass Tacks with Good Brother. Roger, how are you? Good. Thanks Good. for being with us. So this is podcast number two. Uh, let's get down to brass tacks. And we are here with an interior designer, Roger MacArthur, um, renowned interior designer, might I say, from what I've what I've been heard. I've been at it a good while, yeah. Uh, welcome. Thank it's you. Good to have you on it's board. Great to to be along here with Good Brothers. Yeah, great stuff. Um, tell us a little bit. Introduce the audience to yourself, Roger. Um, I know briefly over the few conversations we've had over the last while, you have. Told me a little bit about your background. Um, really exciting. Yeah, sure. Yeah, it's been really a, an interesting time. Uh, many years in the business. I'm originally from Long Island, New York, mm-hmm. in a seaside town with a lot of heritage. And I started with a, a friend's dad who was a master carpenter, happened to be English, to renovate houses built for ships, captains, and and first mates and harpooners. So yeah, really? that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Our, our town was a whaling port, very similar to what you'd see in Nantucket or, or Cape Cod. So we're not New Yorkers. Yeah, you know, we're, we're far away from from Manhattan, but uh, and I took an interest early, and I was always building stuff and nicking materials from the new homes being built and building tree houses <laughs> and underground forts. And I was thinking on the way in that <clears throat> I think that that's really why interest in interior architecture and design because they are associated, but they are different. Absolutely, um, it started there. Very um, good. Yeah, so then um, uh, into Manhattan, I did a University of New Hampshire at Plymouth campus in art and architecture and uh, became a master carpenter and cabinet maker through the New York State uh, program. How long did sorry now? How long did that take you to become a master carpenter? Was that like was it like a college course or no? It was a, it was a, a course by New York State uh, um, Carpenter Union System. Okay, and I actually apprenticed with a German who was a member of the uh, New York State uh, Carpenters Unions in Manhattan, and he happened to have a lull of work the, because it's cyclic, you know. And yeah. So during that time, and I had already been working as in my own uh, capacity as a journeyman on my own. Because um, in university I picked up money and I found I was good at interior joinery. And then uh, after university I, I worked on my own for a while and then I discovered Raymond, a guy named Raymond Scrabbits. He looked like Hagrid from Harry Potter, <laughs> a giant guy. Uh, and big and I, hair, yeah, big gold. bushy hair, big beard, hands like meat hooks. I, Giant I met him. Size man. He was, it was. I met him. He was holding a Volkswagen engine in one hand. I swear <laughs> to God, I'll never forget it. I was afraid to approach him, you know, but he was building a house and he took me on as an apprentice. And for the first year, I didn't touch a tool. And all Raymond would do would be to cover his lips, mm-hmm. point to his ear and his eye. In other words, don't say anything, listen and watch. Uh, kind of a dour, typical, you know, you will never know anything like I know type yes, of attitude. Yes. Uh, but it served its purpose. And after four years, I got a, a master's certificate. Very good. So yeah. there was a purpose behind it. He was obviously purpose. knew knew not only did he know how to do what he was good at, but he also knew how to teach. In that old style way where it's it's it, there's no joy in it. It's like a drudge. really Oh, everything's very serious, yeah. And it's not, you move this here and a millimeter, yeah. Okay, now that's good. Now, <laughs> th- that's a good thing. I like that. And I'm still very much, I think, in decimals of millimeters. Quite meticulous. Very, like, yeah. But I'm not 
I have a freedom of, of, of design. Yeah. So I think in most things in, in life, everything, this is one of my basic truths. You'll hear basic truths so long as you get to That's, know a little like, bit about like how basic, I look at things. We like basic truths. Just keep yeah. things in balance. Mm-hmm. So it's great to be fastidious and very technically oriented and very detail uh, concerned. But if you don't have any joy of design and joy of freedom in, in, in what it's going to look like at the end. Yeah. Uh, and that brings me to basic truth number two, and this per- pertains very, very directly to interior design and architecture, mm-hmm. is that form follows function. What do you, what do you mean by form follows okay, function? Okay, so the form of what something looks like, how pretty it is, its, its, its aesthetic qualities, has to be after its function. Okay. So form follows function, and the function of something, no matter whether it's a kid sitting in a treehouse hoping that he has a place to put his canteen, or we were talking about my camping experiences and yes. my mother and dad making sure that we had unitized what we needed, and you open up a cooking set that has three or four pots in it, but that goes there. Yeah. You know, all of that has become part of my personality, and it's very much what we can talk to people about today it, in regard to interior design, interior architecture, Absolutely. And, and, its, and its function, and uh, how important it is to have it look good yeah. after it works properly. Absolutely. Yeah, I yeah. think a lot of people could, you're, you're right, because you've been in the business for so long, you understand that it's just as important to have good function as opposed to um, just, just aesthetically. It does, it does become the, the basis, but it's not that you, at your beginning of understanding this field of architecture and interior design that if you start with that in mind Mm -hmm. you don't have to take years to understand that yeah i get that so over your career have you found that uh, past clients have had it have more gone for the approach of aesthetically pleasing as and like have you had to explain to people listen although we want it to look beautiful it also has to serve a purpose and be practical for your lifestyle which brings me to Basic truth number three <laughs> okay. Okay. is in any union of people or amalgam of people with different ideas, it's easy to say that some people are driven more by the technical mm-hmm. and therefore the cost and function. Yeah. It's generally the masculine of the two or three or whatever it happens to be. And then the more feminine or more, and I don't want to take a hit about being sexist. It has nothing to do with that. If people are uh, more driven by aesthetics mm-hmm. and we're back to balance. Yeah. We're back to I, I understand that. Number one, where we have to balance that out. Yeah. And they're equally important. But, you know, and, and often within a, a couple often, yeah, uh, you have to rectify that thing. Mm-hmm. You have to make sure that someone is more concerned about cost and function. You're not only an interior designer architect, you're, you're a mediator between the two. It's more like a lifestyle coach. That's yeah. <laughs> brilliant. And I guess so yeah. that kind of takes me back to the point is um, why is it important to think about my lifestyle requirements? So when people are thinking about designing their home, why is it important for them to think about the lifestyle requirements first? And we've briefly sure. touched on it. Um, well, here's an easy idea. Let's say you're building a house. It's functionality, starting with function. It's a, a, a umbrella against the environment. It's a bubble into which you will live and habitate. And it's the basic idea. So you have this uh, a, a structure that is, is, uh, has to serve a function. Yeah. Um, or I- even a small job. You're going to reorganize your, your closet. Okay, there's a functionality to that. And then what it's going to look like is important. So... Uh, your lifestyle will dictate a lot of that. Let's say that you have, like I do, we have a new peppy, pu- puppy in the house. Yeah. Holly. Very nice. retriever. 
little pee machine. Yeah. I'm happy she's on tile. <laughs> she doesn't visit the carpeted areas. When did you when did you get the puppy? Uh just Saturday. Saturday. Yeah, and she's a she's a little dote. Like she she only cried the first two nights and last night she was great. You know, really? So yeah, fast, yeah. fast learning. But, but point being then so material choices can come down to how you want to live. Let's say you're uh, wheelchair bound. Yes. Um, so your materials might reflect and transitions from one surface to another. You don't want that all wooden saddle in between the two. That's gone the way of the dodo. And it was just because it's a little more difficult to figure if you're going from a, a heavy, thick tile to a thin carpet or a thicker wood with a backing to something that's thinner, you want a smooth transition. Of course. Um, yeah, makes sense. So at your lifestyle, or you might uh, be a night worker and you want to make sure that you don't see or hear uh, noise or have light come through your, your window shades. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so lifestyle will go ahead and, and, and directly affect your design and your material choices and uh, the space planning of, of the functionality makes of, com of makes your, complete yeah, sense yeah. makes complete sense yeah sure to think think ahead as you said the requirement the lifestyle requirements should determine exactly how, how your design and sh should and, be and it's not always easy for people to map their lifestyle yeah of course from a design point of view because it's ever changing would it be is one but it's something you normally don't think about okay if you've gone through a process before where how you're going to live in an environment uh it, the functionality of it uh, is is paramount. That's number one. And you're used to thinking that way, but most people don't. Mm -hmm. uh, and some people, again, are more technically orientated. Some are more aesthetically. Yeah. So the more technical person is think, okay, well, when I come in at night, I want that hall light up on the balcony on. I want to switch right here next to me. Mm -hmm. That's his particular, very particular lifestyle choice, you see. And and if, if that isn't thought through or if somebody doesn't bring that to his attention, hey, what about putting a light switch here so that goes on? Because I know you come in late at night. Yeah. So it can be very, very specific. Um, and like you said, mo most people might not think of that unless it's brought to their attention. Correct. Which is where an, an expert like yourself comes in because... Um, yeah, you've seen all of this before and you understand the requirements are just as important as everything else. Yeah, and it's as simple it's, as a light switch. It's trying to draw out, um, based on my experience, the enthusiasm of the customer. The customer should be enthusiastic about, wow, I'm going to have this new house or I'm going to have a new closet or my kitchen is going to be banging or whatever it happens to be that you want to find, again, balance between yeah. drawing them out and, and encouraging their enthusiasm because... When they're enthusiastic, they'll let you know their design choices. So now you're into the aesthetic. Okay, I see what you mean. You see? Yeah. So you have to make them excited about what they're doing uh, and then be able to make your job easier. Because mm -hmm. So I often ask people to cut pictures out of magazines, even if it has nothing to do with a particular product yeah. uh, or, or, or may not even affect their, their project themselves. But I get an idea of their design sense. But, but what about... Um like magazines are have a, obviously there's magazines that always be around, but do you find now with the advancement of technology and people spending more time on the phones that? Yeah, sure. I think this that, is kind of a lot of people. Mm -hmm. I know for us in here in the kitchen industry, we have people come into us, and what they will generally do is have a lot of screenshots on their phone saying, "Oh, well, I've seen this on Instagram or I've seen this on Facebook." Um, yeah, of course, that, that's the way it's going now, and and so imagine along that line that the prospective customer. And we ask them, gee, what do you like? What do you yeah. like the look of? Don't, I don't care if it has anything to do with this project you may or may not do. What do you like? I like the color purple. Great. Instagram. 
go search the color purple. Yes. And, uh, yes. It could be and the it, Oprah Winfrey movie, you know, or it could be yeah. the color of your jumper. Absolutely. But, um, uh, you know, so sure, uh, modern technology is, is the way to go. Mm-hmm. So, you know, maybe they could put that on a cloud and say, hey, I'm going to give you access to that. And then you go, boom. And you because it's important it. for you to know, as you said, I mean, an interior designer slash architect needs to know what, um, first of all, obviously what the client likes. And, and from there, you, you build some sort of profile and come up with an overall plan and layout for the, for the building. Yeah. Um, so that uh, like so that again that kind of we've answered the, what type of materials should I think about using and again that goes back to lifestyle requirements doesn't it yeah and, and personal choices and, and likes and then because I think one thing that's really changed incredibly in uh, in architecture and generally is, is material choices mm-hmm. there's all different types of cool stuff out there now endless um, amount of stuff yeah and uh, again th- then we come down to well, gee I like that I like to look at that uh, oh it's very fascinating come down to budgetary constraints or requirements um so it's it can be a bit of a minefield and uh again to maintain their level of enthusiasm and direct them uh to where they might come up with a a uh, an idea of cost yeah that's the other thing that's important it's so i often ask people at the initial stages to forget about cost and they go what well, you know and they're all how can we do that? I said, because right now all we're doing is, is talking about possibilities. It's yeah. not costing. We're planning. And again, maintaining that level of enthusiasm. Uh, at one point in my career, I was teaching and very involved in stained glass. Mm-hmm. And I was teaching people how to, how to do stained glass. And one of the first things you have to do is put gloves on them and eye protection and give them a hammer and a piece of window pane glass and say, break the glass. Why? Why? Well, because people are trained not to want to do that. You don't break a glass Mm -hmm. and it's a hurdle to get over. And it's the same thing with this. Forget about cost right now. Everybody's concerned about cost, but it can limit your enthusiasm and your creativity. So it's like breaking that glass. You have to say, it's not costing anything now. I'm here meeting with you free of charge for our first meeting. And we'll talk about anything that might pertain to your business, but throw cost out the window right now. What would you love to have? Yeah. You Makes know? complete sense. It does. Absolutely. Because you're yeah. not defined by a budget, therefore. No. Oh, I can't and, and, and if there's a, something that somebody really, really wants, but it's expensive and it won't fit in the budget, maybe there's a way to take the essence of that design and find a cost practical way of including that into the project. Yeah. But if the person presumes it's too expensive out of the gate, then there's no opportunity to maybe find a cost-efficient way to example of that thing. Yeah, I guess that. Yeah, makes sense. Makes yeah. sense. That's a that's a good way of approaching it. Uh, for me, I know like for taking on a, an interior design product or people designing their <clears throat> their own homes. Like where, where most people would, how would they start? Like where do I start? All right, I'm 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 about to build my new house. Um. Do I go it alone? Do like I, I can see the pros and the cons, but I see more cons than pros because when you bring in a professional such yeah. as yourself or an interior designer, they can point you in the right direction. Mm. They can help you avoid delays. They can bring up materials and um, that you may not have thought of before. And that's a perfect example of sure. out, straight out the gate. So it brings us to basic truth number four. Okay. Any amount of enthusiasm cannot replace experience. Of course. And that's why you would hire a professional person. But often, and this is how I got into architecture, is because a lot of people (laughs) that see themselves as being a pundit or an expert can try to overwhelm 
the prospective customer with what they know. And it's ego. And I see that. And the reason I got into design and architecture is because I was working in Manhattan building a, a restaurant for uh, a guy who happened to be from Ireland. Yeah. Uh, you take it a lease on a, on a space on the east side of Manhattan. And the architects came in and we were in the middle of designing and building the place. And these architects came in and just looked down their nose at us like we were bugs. And I Why? Thought, well, because they're in the ivory tower, they're the architects and there's a perception especially here in Ireland, of the person who's a professional white-collar worker and they have an arrogance that people let them get away with. Um, I think it's part of the perhaps a little bit more class struggle that, that has happened here, whereas uh, I, I just railed against it. I said, look, I can learn what you know. I, here's a tool. Go do, do what I do. Yeah. And I so... While I learned and I consider myself a good and practical and knowledgeable interior designer slash architect, that means that I can convey my ideas to other people in the format that they're used to looking at, i.e. drawings. Yeah. Um, so, you know, to... Because, to yeah, yeah, sorry to interrupt. Because when most people think of an interior designer, they think of all of the frilly stuff like the curtains and the cushions. And sure. there's actually so much more. I call it the flower and the vase at the end of the job. Bing, the job is done. There's a little rose in the vase. Okay, enjoy your place. It's... it's. Um, I'll use an analogy. <clears throat> so many women that are getting married uh, imagine <clears throat> this five-tier wedding cake uh, with uh, the bride and groom holding hands under a little gazebo on the top. And that you always have to have in mind. That's your ideal. Mm. But at the point of the practicality of how are we going to mix the flour and the eggs and the sugar and the fondant coverings and all the decorative stuff, it's all a very good metaphor for please, by all means, imagine the end. But we have to reverse engineer that. Yeah. So for a lot of reasons, and it goes back to the functionality and, and creating a budget um, and then working within that budget to have the bride and groom holding hands at the top of the cake and or the beautiful kitchen. And during the boom here in Ireland, people were on the hook for five, six hundred thousand. Uh, the husband often was very interested in the nuts and bolts and uh, the, there was no line item breakdown of costs prior mm -hmm. to the project actually being built. Yeah. Um, and so this, this spread of the budget uh, was just not even considered. And the architect often, unless they were paying big money to supervise the job, and they're not builders. They come in and signed off on stuff, but they don't have the intimate knowledge. So while I, I mentioned that I learned architecture, I'm a builder, and I've integrated those two disciplines in order to help the customer discover what the flower in the vase might be as we're creating the shelf that the vase will sit on. Yeah. You know, I and, and so <clears throat> now if you can create an outline for the individual who's never done this before to follow so they can actually be that person again, enthusiasm and experience are diametrically opposed. Mm -hmm. They can conjoin, yes, but you need to have to put the time into the experience, yeah. but you can jump people ahead by giving them an outline. Hey, follow this outline. It's, it's really practical. So what that might be is, okay, um, let's go through, do an electrical plan. Oh my God, how can I do it? I've never done that before. We'll go room by room. What type of lights do you want? Do you want ceiling lights? Do you want, you know, what kind of wall sockets? How are you going to flip things on? And if you do that for material choices, for colors, for doors, for moldings, for, forget furniture. That's something else. Uh, floor coverings, 
Uh, what type of heating system do you want? You can go very quickly and create a line item breakdown. Mm-hmm. But imagine if that line item breakdown was already given to you. Yeah. And you just fill in the blanks. And if you wanted a 60 centimeter square by 25 mil thick marble tile in your entryway, okay, that's a premium choice. That's your A choice. Why not have a, a, a marble effect 60 by 60 by 8 mil tile for half the amount? That's your B choice. And across your things, you can have A, B, and C choices. So if something goes awry mm-hmm. uh, during the course of the project, something costs you more than you had anticipated, you might go with a couple different B choices. You would make that money back up. Yeah. And you're still laughing. You're still moving ahead. Yeah. That's why it's all, like, as you said, it's a, that's why it's experience comes in. Sure. In, like, and it's important. And you, you can said. do that with windows and doors and just about in, anything that isn't necessary as far as the functionality of the mm-hmm. structure. So generally, it's the architect that would do that before hand, isn't no, it? No, the architects here don't do that. The architects don't do that here? And generally not. Okay. You pay them big money to do that. You need a project manager designer. Now, see, I wear a lot of different hats and I have successfully for a long time for a lot of happy customers. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, that was not a fluke. That was a niche that I decided to fill. You've seen, the, you've seen the void. Um, saw, saw the opportunity yeah, and became very good at it um, and um, had a business where I moved from uh, Manhattan down to Palm Beach, Florida area. And I serviced, uh, it took me a while to get into Palm Beach Island because it is uh, like any super exclusive area. Uh, there's people who've been servicing that for generations. Yes. So what are you bringing new to the party? And having come from a more cosmopolitan environment in Manhattan, mm-hmm. Uh, and a little bit freer thinking, um, there was an opportunity that I took advantage of, which landed me in a very desirable. That's interesting. Place. So, how did you go about breaking into this market? And- yeah, well, I had chosen the area. It was either leave Manhattan, and because Manhattan was riddled with uh, unions. If you weren't a union, I wasn't a, a union affiliated. Uh, it's it's a whole quagmire of, you know, you were threatened on my own jobs because you were a scab, which is the slang for a non-union guy. Really? Yeah, and I said, I'm out of here. It's like communism, like people strong-arming you. And, and there was a, a, a criminal element to, you know, the guys that enforce the unions, the mm-hmm. union halls. So I said, either out back to Long Island, out to the Hamptons, or go down south where it's nice and warm. I chose the latter. So I was in Palm Beach area and I wanted to crack that nut. And my way in uh, was that I had met these two girls that were a couple um, that were uh, cooks mm-hmm. and they started catering and uh, they did one bigger event for a very well-placed person on the social register in Palm Beach. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, these gals, they started a catering business. They bought this big warehouse. They were the two-go couple um, outside of the gay community as well. They did the Red Cross ball. Mm-hmm. And, and these are super extravagant, high-ticket items where there's a theme. And one thing comes to mind was uh, Colonial America. So there was all the big powdered wigs and the red, white, and blue. And it was like uh, these wealthy women festooned like very wealthy uh, colonial ladies. So these girls, their business, and they bought a a lovely house that was from 1928. Um, Palm Beach really flourished during the 1920s uh, through an architect and designer called Addison Meisner. So Meisner-esque architecture would be a combination of Spanish and Turkish or Moorish 
really, really nice, very unique. And he built a super prolific builder and designer, uh, the Breakers Hotel, the Biltmore Hotel, uh, the Belvedere okay. Hotels, and many, many private homes in the Palm Beach area in a very short amount of time in the 20s. And these girls bought a Meisner house and I renovated it for them. Nice. So that was my entree into Palm Beach. That was your foot in the door. Foot in the say. door. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so how long did you spend in Palm Beach? Well, we were in West Palm Beach. That's where our business was. So Palm okay. Beach is like, uh, you wouldn't have a business like mine there because it's just residential and supportive businesses, doctors, lawyers, oh, right, restaurants, that type of stuff. Yeah. Um, 15, 16 years and had had the opportunity to uh, generate customers that had properties all over the place. So uh, we, we often traveled to look at, uh, let's let Roger look at our little house in Nassau and you go over the Bahamas, it's like this mansion. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And they're they referring it to as a little house. Well, um, yeah, but that's that's all with people with a lot of money kind of downplaying, oh, it's just a thing, you know, yeah. it's just yeah. the Ferrari in the driveway. Yeah, don't, yeah, don't yeah, worry yeah. about it. You know, it needs a tune-up, you know. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it's, yeah it's, no, that's, that's funny. That's yeah. a cool, it's a cool story. Um, you've got a really great background. In, in Yeah, so bottom, to bring it all together, it's it's that no matter whether you're a millionaire or you're, you're redoing your closet, you want to get the biggest, and this is a very American saying, but I love it, it's you want to get the biggest bang for your buck. You want to make sure you've optimized the investment you want to maintain your level of enthusiasm and what you imagine the bride and groom are going to look like at the top of the cake and then still be willing to go through and be patient to do line item breakdowns and what your project might cost. Mm-hmm. And that applies to a small project, a medium or a large project. It's yeah. all the same. It's again, the basic truth of architecture, form follows function, create a budget, get people to know what they're doing, uh, be specific about things, uh, eliminate variables. Mm-hmm. So if you imagine all the things that you need to do to finish your project are written down uh, on a, pe- a piece of paper, we need to do this. Uh, these are some of the requirements of that particular thing. Here is a person who might supply that. Uh, here's a person who might fit that. Here's the costs associated with the supply and the fit. There we go, we extrapolate that out. Here's a B choice, here's a C choice. And there's your line item and you go through your project and that's your template. Yeah. And just the structure of the whole, the whole project. Right. That's well then to me, that makes complete sense. <clears throat> um, Cause I'm not going into a blind. You're laying out how it's going to go reverse engineering from the end result to what's actually involved Correct. in regards to um, how it's built and the materials needed and the cost of the materials. And who's supplying it? Who's supplying it? So or, that's that's another yeah. question. Or um, even another thing that I just wanted to throw out there that's interesting to expedite. Let's kind of, as we're talking about this, how would a, what's it take a particular thing? Yes. So you're following that template and you have to specialty order things that aren't readily available locally, whether mm-hmm. it's paneling or it's a, it's a commode or a worktop or whatever it happens to be. And to securely have that waiting in the wings. Yeah. So past basic building materials that are locally supplied and the mechanicals involved with that. What are the specialty things and have them on hand, have them purchased, have them securely held. So when you need them, that they're there. And then so, that keeps the, the, the project moving ahead. Okay, so have, we've pre- have we purchased these already and the yeah. supplier is holding on to them until we're ready to fit? Is well, that generally what? That's happened with me and they've gone ahead and, and say, oh, we'll, we'll borrow a few boxes and then we'll replace them. Yeah. 
you see. Mm -hmm. So you really need to have a warehouse, depending on the size of the project. Or I built a house down in Nathai for a fellow who was a vet and his wife was a, a general practitioner. They had a little girl, big mm -hmm. house. And we had a big 20-foot uh, container on site, all padlocked up. Okay. And, and held all this? All the stuff we needed was in there. The flooring, it was nice and dry. It was continuing to air dry in there. Uh, we had all their... Um, uh, sanitary wear, uh, hardware, everything was everything all was there. on hand. So when yeah, have you any idea of what it cost to get that twenty foot container to store on site while the yeah, it's not on? much. It's like at the time, I think it was thirty or forty a month That's euros. Right. Yeah, now it's probably gone up, but you know, it's the security of it's really important because depending on where your building project is, somebody comes along with a uh, with a, a saw and goes zzz, zzz, and all your stuff goes. Mm -hmm. uh, or you have a, a, a warehouse somewhere, a small storage space, you know, depending on how much stuff you're gonna, but it's there and you can implement it. Yeah. You know it's there and it's, a, it's, it's not a variable anymore. It's not like you go to a tile supplier and you say, you know what, this is now February, in June we're gonna need uh, 150 square meters of that tile mm -hmm. and please have it ready for us. Yeah, it doesn't work like that. Well, it can, mm -hmm. but sometimes uh, they said, well, we're not, it's available now, but we won't order it until April. Yeah. April comes along. It's not available. And there's delay. Have that, and that, so yeah, have or you don't get what you want. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, have the money to buy what you need um, or at least have your payments from your financial resource mm -hmm. scheduled. So, in advance of needing them based on your line item breakdown and oh there's another part of having the line item breakdown you can extrapolate out fancy word you can figure out your schedule mm -hmm. of the build because now you've eliminated the variables you have the things that have to that represent the build the design whatever it happens to be uh, you've supplied the resources for that and now when it's ready to implement them you, you can rock and roll it's, it's they're there to go yeah. um, so there's reasons to be able to do that, but it has to be financially feasible as well. Um, sometimes in the good old days when people were borrowing money from the Bank of Ireland that the Bank of Ireland was thrown at them, mm -hmm. they realized because there was no line item breakdown, they've already used up all the money. And what was left over to finish the job, the poor bride and groom on top, or well, they're halfway down the cake and they're, they're sitting in their boxers. Yeah. You know, it's not what they had imagined. Yeah. Um, so... Again, the experience of knowing how to do all that is 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 worth knowing. Absolutely, yeah, I, I totally agree with you, hundred yeah. percent. So, in a, what would it cost? Now, you do you generally go in? So, for example, for the initial consultation with yourself, for somebody like you to come in and do the planning and and the lay on all that kind of stuff, is there a charge involved? And if so, what okay. would people expect? Well, the initial consultation, um, I'll spend a whole day with somebody. If, if it's a long ways away, I'll charge them to, to come and go. Okay. You know, that's fair. I'm a professional person. Um, it's, it's to the initial consultation is to kind of for me to assess the people mm -hmm. and for them to understand my particular way of going at a project. We might touch on some very specific things, but they won't receive a plan or a breakdown or anything after that. Okay. It's a meeting where we feel each other out. And uh, if generally, if I um, have generated some interest, then there's a fee structure, mm -hmm. and it depends on the project, you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, 
it's all as unique as each each project is and that and that makes sense it is but you know it's it began again it becomes a fixed element it's not gee how much is this guy going to cost us well what am i doing for you yeah you know am i supervising you uh once a week via a skype mm -hmm. or am i visiting your your project every single day or i'm on that project now the job i was telling you in a thigh with this with the 20 foot container i had a porta cabin office Okay. And I worked the job. I had a drafting table. I had a desk. I had my computer that was closed up and secured at night. And while the project was being built, now when I took the project on, the structure was up and the roof was on. Okay. So it was from windows through to flower in the bus. Uh, all the color choices, but uh, all the walls, all the moldings, all the, there was one of the first underfloor heating systems that was ever uh, uh, in the Republic of Ireland. There was a guy named Brian McCann from the north. Mm -hmm character of a guy everything was we this no we that you know yeah. but uh people didn't know underfloor heating and we had had it in america but because of a a problem with the pipes i think it came from monsanto okay okay the water moving through the hot water moving through the plastic pipes actually created uh oxygen which broke down the polymer that the plastic pipes were made out of and they had a huge amount of costs ripping up people's floors because the plastic pipes failed. Wow. So uh, jump along to early 2000s technology. They were uh, called cross-linked polyethylene. And the cross-linked molecules kept the oxygen from going in. We've all seen boiling water and the oxygen coming out of it. Well, that'll the, the, the breakdown of, of hydrogen and oxygen happens to water often, more often than we think. And if it's pumped through at pressure under uh, that's been heated, that'll happen. So the state of the art now is uh, aluminium lined uh, flexible pipes okay, yeah, I've seen and that. the underfloor heating. Uh, underfloor heating, if we can talk about that, it's great. But you can imagine you've got a huge surface area and where does hot air go? Yeah, it goes. It pools oh. up at the ceiling. Yeah. So on that particular job, we had pre-forged structural floors. And I had, when they were made, a hole in each one that allowed the air to go through. We call them floor registers in America. We have a lot of forced air heating. And you want that pooling hot air to go to the next level that's yeah. being occupied. Um, but a lot of people weren't thinking about that. So you had this massive generation of, of a surface area of underfloor heating, and then it all just sat at the ceiling doing nothing, costing a lot of money. Do you find, in your opinion, uh, underfloor heating as opposed to traditional radiators, in your opinion, what is, what's better source I think I think um, you go back to the, the shape and size of the structure. And so knowing that hot air, and I'll get to your question, knowing that hot air rises in, in a two-story house, the natural chimney, not the chimneys that actually would take hot air out of the house for mm -hmm. the fireplace, but is up the stairway. So it, it will pool, it'll go up the stairway and it'll pool there. And there's an opportunity to have a, a, a tastefully designed but hidden vent that might capture that rising air into a section of your attic that is just a heat uh, accumulator and then either vent it during the warmer times of the year mm -hmm. or to redistribute it during other times of the year. Yeah. So that's this heat Never, recovery right, system. Clever, yeah. Yeah. That's this heat recovery system. As far as how that heat is generated, you have requirements now that are coming online that require a certain type of BER certificate, your ability of your envelope against the, the weather to 
uh, be airtight mm -hmm. and to extract uh, heat from a practical resource. So when you go down a certain distance in the earth, it's a standard temperature. So that temperature is already giving you a leg up, so to speak. You're not taking ambient, you know, minus five degrees air and you're heating it to 18 or 20. Yeah. You're taking standard heated air that is always at the same temperature. So that's, that's the, the idea behind a, a thermal well. Um, insulation, of course, what type of windows and, and how your air is being heated and circulated or cooled or circulated or vented. Um, so I like forced air here, uh, heating. Um, so you have an active system mm -hmm. pulling in fresh air, mixing it with a treated air, whether cooled or heated, and then redistributed and then recirculated from uh, distribution points and recirculation points. A lot of that can be done with convection. Yeah. So while you have that hot air going up the, the stairwell and pooling at the top of the landing ceiling, it's an opportunity to go ahead and reclaim that and redistribute it. Yeah. So uh, you can you could still have, um, geez, they have everything now. They have walls that basically you put warm air into walls. So the wall is radiating heat. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is where different materials come in, different types of composite blocks will enable you to uh, uh, heat them and then they'll, they'll radiate heat. So there's a huge amount of stuff. And I think it depends on um, what the building requirements are, uh, what the shape and the construction of, of your envelope against the weather, your house mm -hmm. happens to, what, what shape it has, and, uh, and then your budget constraints. Yeah, yeah. So And then that's probably the most technical and most befuddling and the thing with the most uh, variables. Uh, so a lot of choices and everybody. Oh, here's another important thing. Um, where are we at? Basic truth number five. Basic number five. I think it's number five. five. Yeah, <laughs> it's in number there. Five. Salesman or salesman. Mm -hmm. So if you get Joe Schmo coming in and he wants to sell you his window and you have Pauline coming in and she wants to sell you her window, they're all the best window in the world. And it can be very confusing. I actually had a customer in claim that was sitting, God bless her. She had built a lovely house during the boom and at the tail end of the boom, she had some money. She wanted to build another one, high spec house. I went to meet her. She had five different giant full-size windows in her sitting room and she was completely triple glazed. This thing, that thing, you know, I mean, it was just, she was up to her, to her eyes with it. Jeez. Really? So again, without matching it against your particular structure and budget, uh, again, that's where a professional person who has nothing to gain. I'm not selling you windows. Mm -hmm. I'm not selling you tiling or heating systems or anything. I'm, I'm project managing and designing on your behalf. I'm your biggest uh, firewall against being ripped off. Yeah, ah, I get yeah. that. Yeah. And you're, you're looking at it from a practical standpoint. I'm representing to... the customer. Yeah. Let's get what's best for you. Let's mm -hmm. identify what you want it to function at, what you want it to look like. From that, let's generate a budget. Um, you know, quantity surveyor can come up and do that, but it, he hasn't spent the time to look at all the choices. You can do that whole line item breakdown, give it to a QS, and that'll give you a really good photograph uh, of what's happening, what's what it's going to cost, because mm -hmm. that's what they do as a profession. Yeah. But they're not interior architects and they're not interior designers. So you need a team of people really looking after you. Mm -hmm. uh, you don't want to just say, oh, God, I got a team of people. What's that going to cost? Okay. Well, that's again where experience can save you money. Yeah, We don't need a full-time guy doing this. We've paid the architect to come up with his drawings of what the house might look like. But I'll tell you something, Germany, 
France, uh, America, certainly Canada, other places that I've, I've worked and seen examples of good architecture. There's layers of, of things that have been figured out uh, by the architect. I don't see that much here in Ireland. Okay. It's left up to the sparks coming in and deciding where your electric is going to be. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, that's not reflecting your lifestyle. That's mm -hmm. reflecting what's easy for him. For them, He's the yeah. electrical salesman. Yeah. Do you see? Yeah. We, we need to tell him, based on our lifestyle and, and, and the experience of the professional who's guiding us, price that electrical plan for us, please. Mm -hmm. This for is those lighting choices. This is what we want. Yeah. yeah. What's it going to cost? And if you see something we've really screwed up or missed, by all means, let us know because you're the professional and you come to us with a really good reputation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But we really think we want this. And unless there's something we've gotten completely wrong, we've researched that we want LED spotlights that are dimmable. Uh, in a in a, a three thousand Kelvin, which is a very candlelight range, LED lights that everybody is is amazed by. I'm amazed by them. Uh, they're cool. They have a warm light, which is three thousand Kelvin. Kelvin is a measurement of temperature, yep. all the way up to six thousand five hundred, which would be super super bright white. We've seen them on Christmas lights. Yeah. In fact, you've seen the whole range. You've seen the candle style Christmas lights, mm -hmm. and then you see the ones that look like they're from you know the future. Yes. <laughs> you know, yeah, they'll burn your eyeballs. Bright. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, you know, so it's better to again have this line item breakdown where you've, you you're really empowered by the choices that you've made. Yeah, and then you refer back to the professional person and mm -hmm. say, here's what we want. What do you think? Oh, Jesus, no, you wouldn't want to do that. Mm -hmm. Why would you want to switch here? Well, don't worry. We, we've already went through that. How much will that design yeah. cost? Yeah, you exactly. Know? Take the word of the professional to hire. That's why somebody like you would be unbelievably, um, I could see it as a huge benefit from the beginning of the project because not only do you bring the architectural aspect of it and the design, but there's practicality involved in it and the cost it's, breakdown. It's whether it's me or, or someone or else that is that acting is. on your behalf to eliminate these variables, yeah. make them line item choices. Now, they're on a piece of paper. Yeah. Until you've purchased them and warehoused them or you're, or you're implementing them in your project, it's just a map of where your spend is going. Yeah. Yeah, that's very good. Um, no, it makes complete sense to me, and I'm sure to the people listening, it also makes sense to them. Um, but again, like you have a wealth of knowledge in all different areas, and I think if you'd be willing, I'd like to kind of get you back um, on a couple of more occasions. Maybe we could possibly talk about it further down the line. Um, I think there's there, yeah, for sure. Because um, again, we could do you could do separate shows about cost. Um, you could do a separate show about materials. You could do a separate show about the actual design aesthetics part of it. There's just so many avenues we could take a turn. Yeah. And, and you know, if people are willing to listen, um, it's 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 not fluff. Mm -hmm. This is the the real information of of what will make again. Uh, I don't want people to think that this only pertains to some big house build or some big renovation or some big addition. Yeah. This all pertains to even small jobs. Yeah. Um, so I think it is useful. And certainly, yeah, we can go down the list and be a lot more specific. And the reason being is to let's let's demystify uh, the, the challenges that people are confronted with when they want to invest money into a building project yeah and um and there is a a roadmap that i've used and created and have learned from other people a lot of interesting other people too and kind of amalgamated it together into a useful format yeah sounds really really good sounds yeah. really good to me um and again can i get some tips off you for the person listening or for the average person who might be designing what would be some good ways that i could save on costs 
And I think one of them re- relates back to over what we've talked about. I can see hiring actually a professional to come in and, and do the structure of it would be one good way. Although you think it's going to cost money, we're probably on the opposite. Well, you don't have to. This is the whole idea of empowering the people that are listening to this Mm -hmm. um, that might be interested to uh, to learn more uh, in in other ways from us. But what we're what we're saying is that we can give you a way where you will be able to identify costs and operating from a practical point of view. Yeah. And so let's take you want a kitchen. Okay, you want to redo your kitchen. Uh, or whether it's a new build kitchen or whatever, both of those, whether it's a, a refurbishment or, or a, a, a new build, let's, let's try for a new kitchen. Yeah. Somebody wants a nice new kitchen. Um, what's Again, I hate to beat this drum so, so many times, but the functionality of it. And if you're not sure, you can start with the space. A lot of times, and my dad taught me, this is a great thing. This is number six. Home <laughs> truth number six. Basic truth number yeah. six, the famous one. It's probably more important to know what you don't want while you're discovering what you do want. Mm, I like that idea. Mm. So you can start with what you know. Well, I know the area I want this yet-to-be-designed kitchen is has to fit into this space that the architect's drawn. There's a window here. There's a door there. It's got the ceiling this big, yada, yada. And I might want to go ahead and then you start. I might want a sink here. Dude, where do I want my sink? Where do I want my oven? What kind of oven do I want? Do your research. Get some magazines. Get some brochures. Listen to people who really know the kitchen industry. But don't be befuddled because the choices are endless yeah so try to educate yourself about the particular thing yourself empower yourself uh now unfortunately i've met people who know a little bit and think they know more than i do Mm -hmm. uh, because they're afraid that if they give me too much power i'm going to be taking them for a ride and then we come down to trust you have to trust the person that you're working with so let's say you're just working with yourself and you're looking and you're going online and instagram and you're compiling things that you like yeah um that would be the best place to start okay on any project yeah you know get inspired and find that balance between thinking about potential costs but still maintaining your enthusiasm you want the job to be uh, a success and the only way that'll happen is that all the things at the end it has to uh, have gone as smoothly as possible. And, you know, everybody goes, oh, I hear building's a nightmare. Yeah, there's challenges in anything. And, and you know, if you, if you follow the format, then we can at least determine what it is that will complete your project, mm-hmm. what those things might cost. And then you can go ahead and say, okay, well, I'm kind of happy with the, the prospective budget and I've resourced a lot of this stuff and I found a lad that can do this and so forth and so on. And then you can project what it should cost. And then at the end of that thing, if you've stayed within your budget, Mm -hmm. and the best way to stay within the budget is to, again, bang on the drum, eliminate variables. It is not, gee, I think it might cost this. Yeah. Um, Things should cost what they cost. In my business, I was very specific about what my uh, price quote included. Okay. There's no presumption. Gee, I thought you were providing a that. It's a very Excuse specific... me, no, do you see it on this breakdown? Yeah. And I used to make my samples in a really big format. And I'd flip them over and have Mrs. Jones sign Mrs. Jones in yeah. huge letters. And I'd cut it in half and I'd hang on to one and I'd give Mrs. Jones the other. Yeah, so everybody was clear. Exactly that's exactly what you're on. getting. Yeah. You see? And that's good. 
and it yep. saves on the confusion. And it, and, it, and it keeps you from being worried. Oh, is this guy going to do what I want him to do? Yeah. Well, it's as long as he's signed off and he's given you a work order that reflects what you've told or you've agreed that mm-hmm. he's providing when, how, and for how much. Again, fixed costs. You can breathe easier. Yeah. And you're the, holding, excuse me, you're holding him to this is what we agreed upon. Mm-hmm. You know, it, yeah. it, 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 it's not like, gee, I thought that. This is very specific. And at the end of the day, you're there to be an asset to to them. Um, so obviously, you're going to want to do right by, by them. And also, they're going to have to do right by you. Um, Everybody's happy at the end. You give them a glowing report. Gee, Joe, electrician, did a great job. He really listened to me. Mm-hmm. He offered his opinion when I wasn't sure about something. But he was willing to realize we had spent a lot of time thinking through what we wanted. Yeah. And he followed that. Yeah. For that amount of money, happy days. Brilliant. That's great advice. Um, really good advice. Like I said, I actually look, I'm looking forward to the next one that we do because like I said, you've got such a, a wealth of knowledge from, from your experience over the years. That'll be fun. Yeah, for sure. How can people find you? Well, you know, I'm only back into this after um, recently I, I was raising kids. Uh, they're 10 and 15 now. I, I'm anxious to go back into the business and um, I'll be contacting you uh, but here in Ireland, my mobile number is the best place. I have an office number as well, okay. Monday to Friday. So I'll give those out to you. And of course, I have an email. So it's Roger MacArthur, M-A-C-A-R-T-H-U-R is my name. I'm located in Burr in County Offaly. Mm-hmm. Um, my phone number is uh, 353, of course, here in Ireland. Uh, telephone is 67 24648. That's my office. That's Monday to Friday, okay. uh, 8 to 5. And then my mobile is 353-87-298-7350. And my email is uh, rgmac at aircom. That's E-I-R-C-O-M dot net. And eventually as, as this progresses and I'm, I'm back in flying full flight, uh, we'll do a little website and yeah, for uh, sure. and give people a place to look. And, That's perfect. Okay, yeah. Big mouth, let's see what you've done. Yeah. And you're, you're also on LinkedIn. People can find you at Roger MacArthur. Roger MacArthur LinkedIn at LinkedIn. Well. That's how you and I met. That's exactly, yeah. I reached yeah. out to you, um, and which was which was great. I reached out to a, a, a number of people, and Roger was one of the people that got back to me, uh, which I'm thankful for because now we're here, here we are a few well, weeks later. Well, it's a good idea. Let, let's, let's demystify and give people some tools to... To be successful in their in their building projects. Absolutely. Uh-huh. Yeah, hundred percent. And Roger, thank you very Great. much for coming in to see us. Perfect. Thank you and very much. Look, look forward to doing the next one uh, with you. Uh, everybody, thanks for listening in. Um, you can find us on all our social media platforms at Good Brother Kitchens. We're available on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and GoodBrother.ie is the website. Jump on there and look for any sort of inspiration. We'd be, we'd be glad to help you out. See you on the next episode. <laughs>